welcome back to Black Goddess Healing and Manifestation. Of course, I'm Dr. G, your host. I'm here, even though I'm dealing with some allergies and lots of things going on. It's just a really busy time. Um, I'm not going to talk about that too much, but life, life is moving. Life is moving and we just have to go with the flow of it. And as my friend told me recently, respect the process. So that is what's happening over here. I trust you all are well. I usually don't say hope. I trust that you are and that you are allowing spirit to move in your life. Today, we are graced with the presence of Lena Queen. She is our guest during our interview. You may recall her from our Great Conjunction panel that we had in December. And so I just wanted to give you a little bit of background on her before we listen to that interview, because she and I talked about like a good hour on Black excellence, colorism, Black sexuality, and of course, spirituality. So let me just give you a little bit of background. Queen is a black queer woman, hippie and sister sexologist with over 18 years of clinical mental health experience. She's also um, and goes by she and they a full time private practice and clinical somatic sexologist. She's a clinical supervisor and mentor, plant medicine advocate, transformational life coach and erotic coach. And I'm going to put her bio in the description so you can see all the things that Queen is doing. Um, Just wonderful work. I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation. Um, Just very insightful um, topics that just kind of naturally organically emerged. But as you will hear, as she says, were necessary. Some topics that we haven't spoken about um, in depth. So I'm hoping that you enjoy this. I'm sitting here with the window open, letting in this fresh air. I hear kids outside playing and the birds and all that good stuff because you know I love nature. And I just want to um, invite you to do the same maybe take this podcast for on a walk with you okay get some fresh air take your allergy medicine if you have to maybe some herbs i've been drinking a lot of tea a lot of my different teas to clear this up and doing some breath work okay if you haven't seen my post on instagram join me over there on instagram i was just talking about chakras and how the heart chakra can be connected to allergies as well so i know i have some work to do to get some balance in that area um and if you're not familiar with my instagram page dr period underscore g underscore phd join me over there follow me we're doing great stuff um also on black spirituality Dot org is where you can connect with me outside of the podcast and I look forward to doing that and right now I invite you to sit back and listen and enjoy take care all right so welcome back to the podcast and today we are inviting queen to be our special guest and queen welcome thank you for agreeing to have an interview Thank you for wanting to interview me. I appreciate it. And I'm always like, oh, me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you graced our presence uh, during the panel discussion we had during the Great Conjunction. You were one of our panelists. Yes. And yes. we had, I mean, I don't know about you. I had a great time. I did. I yeah. absolutely did. I always feel good when I'm in community with folks and like we are talking about all the things um, and we're centering ourselves in conversation. It's always amazing. 
Yes. Yes. It was like, it, that felt like my new year. Like it was like, this is going to start right. off 2020. Right. So, yes. we're gonna so I hope people have listened to that if they have it. Yes. I will tell you, I've had people, you know, message me email saying that they listen to, like they've been binging off of that content and oh, you know, it's yes. a two hour long, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and we went yes. the full two we, hours. We went in. Yes. yes. Oh, it was great. Yes. It's people have been picking it up and reposting it and we need to do more. We'll do more. We, we have to. Yeah, we have. To. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. So before we hop into um, some questions that I have for you, can you share with everyone who you are now? It could have to do with your resume, but mostly who who you identify as. Oh, <laughs> you can tell that you are in your healing. Um, <laughs> Because that question is where we start from, right? It's like, who am I? Who am I outside of the roles that I perform? Who am I inside those roles, regardless of how I show up? Yes, um, yes. You know, so I am queen. Uh, I use she, they pronouns. I am a black, queer, tender, black hippie, um, spiritual, sexual, sexual, spiritual human being, um, who is also, you know, a grandmother, an anime lover, um, you know, someone who really comes from a place of good intention and that understands the importance of intention versus impact. Woo. Okay. You, you're already dropping them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Intention versus impact. Delve into that just a little bit more for us. You know, we come from the space, especially being a, you know, being educated in the U.S. and understanding that a lot of times people come from this, like, I have good intention, mm-hmm. um, but get very defensive when the impact is harmful, mm-hmm. right? And feel like the intention should remove or have the accountability less than because the impact wasn't where people you know, what he thought it was going to land. Mm. Um, so I'm very much so aware in healing, right? It is like, it's not about, it's energy work. It's not, it's not just, it's both and, it's not just the intention, it's the impact. Um, mm. That revelation had me move from being trauma informed in my healing to being trauma responsive Ooh. because I'm being responsive about what comes next. I'm not predicting what comes next, but I'm being mindful of what could come next. Mm-hmm. Right. So, it, as you were speaking, what was resonating for me, um, hopefully I'm not diverting too much from the topic, but yeah. it is really the people that have that, you know, the, the victimization kind of mentality or they, they, they kind of live in their pain, right? They live in their pain body, right? And, yes. and, the, and the way that they, some people try to counteract that is by doing for others, doing, 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 right? And they have great intentions of helping people and giving, but they may not realize that as the people in the church would say, you blocking my blessings, right? <laughs> you know, not allowing opportunity right. for growth right. for other people as they are trying to heal themselves, but they're so external with it, Right that the impact on other mm-hmm. people may be ignored, right? I mean, that's a, really off, but that's what kind of, when you yeah, were speaking, no, that's what was going through my mind. Actually, 
I don't think off at all. I think very much so needed to have a conversation, even when we talk. So I always start with language, right? Mm. Language transmits power and understanding and connection. So even the language of victim and victimization, right, says somehow that somebody is is responsible or should be shamed for what's happened to them. And, and so systems blames the victim. Systems talks about victimization as a way of helplessness when victimization is an embodiment of people being disempowered. Mm. Yes. People being disempowered. And and if you're not around community thriving and resiliency, then we, yes, the body keeps score, right? We continue to perpetuate these harmful, negative, you know, maladaptive patterns of behaviors, which can be toxic, you know? So the, the survivor, the person who should be surviving what's happened to them, um, stays in this embodiment of continuing being assaulted or victimized. And mm-hmm. that's what, that's what becomes victimization. Yes. So I have, um, and this is not going to be about me, but mm-hmm. you're touching base on this. So I have a publication coming out. One of my next books is on trauma. It's in press right now. Oh, and we're calling it, thank you. Um, action, action from, you know, from the trauma informed care, we still have yes. operational working titles, I should say. Um, but, and the reason why yes. that really, I really wanted to do that is because, and it's not to give trauma informed care a bad name it, because that we needed trauma informed care. There are a lot of people that Absolutely. needed that healing that we were just ignoring and the medical world, medical profession did not see. Right. But now we, right. we do, we have a better lens and we're starting to talk about it more, but we have to, you, you were talking about moving from trauma informed. I'm not just informed, I'm responsive. Yes. Right? So that action Absolutely. piece of it is, and you mentioned the body keeps score. So how do we, we target that? And so as a, my, my work as a practitioner, we, I do a lot of um, mind body connection and sensory work. And, yes. you know, um, my training is, and I've shared is occupational therapy. I'm getting a little more open about my profession, right. um, which I love. And, um, you know, we really connect the sensory system mm-hmm. to neurological connections. Absolutely. When you start talking about the neurological connections. Ooh, the connection to spirituality Hello, energy, right? Energy, yes. Energy. So speak to us a little bit more about like energy work, but also what your work is, what type of practitioner you are. So um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker who is also a sex therapist. So I'm a mental health and sex therapist. Um, One of the things I recognize simultaneously along with my own healing is that healing is not intellectualized, it's somatic, it's body-based. But going through school, it was very much so about, you know, CBT behaviors, um, individualized, right? Not really understanding the connection uh, and being a Black person of African-American descent, you know, understanding lineage and lineage in reference to trauma and healing, that connection was missing in my practice, in my systems, in, in work. And I was like, um... I know I'm not the only one that sees this missing. And it it just moves me to be like, I can't, I can't be a reinforcer of the oppression I'm fighting. And 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 that radicalized me in the sense of like being away from dominant narratives and dominant ways of doing things that I started to include gender, the body, the body, right? Um, now that I call the erotic self, because it's all of who we are, our relationship to touch and pleasure, um, hope and consent. It's like so many things. So I I found the importance of being body-based in my work. 
And as a mental health therapist, it was, I knew the systems around me would not understand that. Um, but in my continue with my education and becoming a sex therapist and even further postgraduate being a somatic sex therapist, it was understanding the relationship to the mind-body connection. And like, that's how I moved into this work. Um, so I am a private practice sex therapist in the state of Delaware. I am the only black queer led agency here in the state of Delaware. Um, and, and, I, and I'm very, very proud of that because again, when you're talking about sexuality, people have a tendency to distance themselves, especially in the black community. Right, we have a tendency to distance ourselves. So um, I launched Journey Wellness and Consulting Group four years ago um, and have expanded it into a group practice. So we offer both um, you know, traditional outpatient services where I have a team of sex therapists and mental health therapists and a community mental health support where we, um, where we help youth and families, queer and non-queer um, on both sides. Uh, and then recently I launched the Whole Self Healing Institute which houses my academic and training work um, because it was not enough to say that I knew this knowledge, right? Intention versus impact. It is understanding that my give back is to share this knowledge. So I've created systems and education in order to do that. Mm -hmm. um, intersectional cognitive behavior therapy and somatic sex therapy. Um, so I use the Institute to do my professional development training. And I know y'all, one more thing, healing the erotic self. <laughs> So, you know, right, healing the erotic, right. <laughs> right, right. Healing the erotic self has become the program that I use to help survivors of complex trauma, mm. um, particularly focused on black and brown bodies, particularly focused on um, queer black women and femmes, um, and while it can be applicable to all. So, you know, that's, that's where I'm at now, right? So I started this thing 18 years ago, and now, you know, I'm working on my own. I have my own practice, um, have two practices, and that's where I'm at. I have lots of things going on, something I'm probably missing, but that's where I'm at. That is, that is great. That is great. Woo. Thank you for sharing all of that. Now let's talk a little bit about um, the unique trauma. We're going to talk about different aspects of sexuality as well, but yes. when we talk about trauma for black and brown bodies, um, I recently I'm giving a talk that has to do specifically with, with trauma um, for black people, for brown people, for indigenous people of color. Yes, yes. And there's some, you know, as we prep, because in the professional world, right, and this, this corporate kind of world, there's, now people are open, right? There's this space where they're like, okay, let's talk about it. Yes. But then when you get into that space, there, there's some pushback. They're like, oh, oh absolutely. We really want to talk about this. And, I'm, and so I have been, as we're prepping for this initiative, trying to help give people language around it, trying to help those who are allies to, you know, they're like, how, how can I get the other people to understand the importance of this? So I'm going to pose that question to you. How can we get people to see the importance of this as we live it and know it? But what makes it so unique? Why do we have to focus on Black people, right? Not to be so harsh, but I know that's No, we, ha we have to. <laughs> right? So I think that, and those are really good questions. I could not do this work without questioning origin, right? And when you question origin, you have to question why is Black a slur? We have to question anti-Blackness in our systems, in our education, and if we're going to question anti-blackness, we have to question where does it come from? 
being a descendant of enslaved Africans from the United in, in the United States that was kidnapped to the United States, all of that is foundational to present day behavior, you know, to present day systems, to present day opportunities. It informs every system of oppression globally and not just within the US. It becomes important because people, what our ancestors demanded, first of all, like generationally, you get to a point where I should not feel shame for something that was beyond my ancestors' control. It is, it is amazing when we talk about compassion and empathy that when it comes to native folks of this land and enslaved Africans and their descendants, we get the least amount of compassion globally of any culture of people. And that became unacceptable because it, it, it flashed over into, you know, how we wrote our, our progress notes, right? Like, who was disciplined and who was not disciplined. The research is there to see it. Who was perceived as trustworthy is not. I am a dark-skinned Black woman in America. You can't tell me that there isn't the impact. Therefore, doing these trainings, the pushback that I give, my very existence is an example of the reason why we need to have this conversation, right? And like, people are entrusting yeah. us with our healing. Yes. And it is in its time, and, and so that's why it's important. People have to move past their comfortability. You've been, people have been comfortable for too long and it is time you bargain your privilege and not just worry about being a superhero because you're trying to fix somebody's pain. Mm. Unacceptable. Yeah. I, um, I don't convince people. I share information. They have to do that work. I am not, I, I think early as, even as a trainer, I took on a lot of emotional labor for the participants to get it. Yeah. I want you to buy in. I want you to get it. I was harmed. Mm. I was exhausted. And I had to realize even as a, a, a trainer, uh, someone who develops professional development opportunities, I have to protect myself in this work as well. Mm -hmm. That's um, great. Right. So it, it becomes important because, you know, we just had a whole year of of wokeness from allies, from people who are not melanated, from people who aren't of African descent, or African American descent, and and you don't hear anything now. They're ally fatigue. That's interesting that you have the privilege to be fatigued of something that we've been dealing with for generations. You know what I mean? Like so, I, and I we carry in our lineage. Know. Yes, absolutely. So why is it important? Because because we hear the jokes about names that people have, you know, black people have, we hear like the microaggressions, the small insults that show up and we, it's time to call people in as well as, you know, not just calling people out, but calling people in to educate them mm -hmm. about it's time for them to do either do better or just know you're doing bad. And at least we know who you are. There you go. You know? Yeah. I, I started yeah. off one of my talks having to do with this subject by saying, yes, I am the presenter. And the reason why is because I've traveled the country and even outside of these, these lands, you know, and I have been approached on few occasions by people as I'm prepping, when is the presenter going to um, show? Yeah. Or right. I walk up and I say, hi, I'm doctor or whatever. And they're like, Oh, oh. Oh, you know, so, and, and, but they don't see that as a microaggression, right? They don't. They, don't, they don't see that as an implicit bias, but I have been blatantly, people come up to me and say, are you the assistant? Yep. Are you yep. her assistant? Yep. Oh, and I'm thinking, I guess you didn't look at the brochure. 
Right. Right. <laughs> no. Um, so I've been oppositional defiant, period, um, because I, you know, we, there's so many of the black excellence kills us. And it still doesn't protect us from those microaggressions that we experience. I am also a black skinned, dark skinned woman with dreadlock, with locks. You know, um, I'm a black hippie who is very open about cannabis, who is very open and an advocate of plant medicine. Um, those things became really important to include in my narrative, um, not only as a professional and as, as a professional, because I'm going to show up. So how do we disrupt narratives? Um, and it becomes that much more important because y'all ain't going to give my ass the benefit of the doubt anyway. So I'm going to show up authentically myself. And if your ass is uncomfortable, that ain't my shit. I don't know what to tell you. That ain't my stuff. What? Queen, exactly. <laughs> I have been queen since the fifth grade. I will never forget it. I had a teacher in Smyrna, Delaware, who started calling me queen. He was a, being a smart ass. But I was like, I'm going to take that name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm queen, like always, always in a day. So you can't convince people you have value. Yes, mm -hmm. no. So in training, it's, and even as professionals, no matter again excellence and things of that nature, you can't convince people. So I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to give you information so you can make an informed choice. Mm -hmm. And if you need some work, I got therapists for you. Like, hey. <laughs> You know, I did I did a workshop in New York City and I I went to graduate school. One of my graduate programs is in New York City. So I'm used to the varying culture. That's that's what makes it great, right? You got yeah. people from just all over the place and they end up being put in this one place once you hit the city part of New York, right? Right. 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 We're in Manhattan and then everybody comes together and then they go apart and then they kind of call it a, sa a salad bowl, right? Yeah. And so in one of my presentations I was doing. I had two young ladies walk up to me and I won't say their background. I don't want to give any biases, but they came up and they said, so we really just wanted to know what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn anything or this is going to be like front loaded with nothingness. And then in the end, we're going to miss a lot of content as I'm plugging in my projector. <laughs> Oh I turn God. around and I say, hi, you know, when you are, let's do some introductions first. Yes. And I say, you have a choice, you know, <laughs> I, I can't tell you what you are going to learn. You can certainly feel free to stay. But as you see, mind you, Queen, it was a standing, like we typically do eight hours a day, like six hours with breaks. And there are people standing up in the back. That's how packed this room was. Wow. But with what privilege, you're going to ask me if you're going to learn anything. You could leave and give someone else your seat. Absolutely. Pos absolutely. Positively. Yes. Yes. It amazes me. Even to this day, I, I feel like I still get, <laughs> get surprised by people's behavior. Just yep. amazing. But you, you mentioned some stats before. And one of the stats that really astonishes me is not just a discipline of like our adolescents and we could talk about juvenile detention centers, but go, let's go all the way back to preschool. Yep. And we look at our preschoolers and I think, yep. and I don't know what the latest numbers are, maybe a few years back, our, our black uh, children made up about 18%, right? Mm -hmm. At least our males, 18% of the, the preschool population, but over 50% in terms of being suspended from preschool. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, Yes. That just blew my mind. <laughs> yep. well, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality 30 years ago. And we know intersectionality is a timeless 
understanding of the relationship between identity and power. It's not just identity, but it's mm. identity and power. And, and, and your example right there is, an, is a great example of what happens when, you know, uh, representational media messages, things that happen that inform people's behavior. And our children, Black children, are, are criminalized and adultified more than white children, Latino children, or Asian children. Um, and it's indicative of a, a racial caste system mm-hmm. that we that we have. And there's no justification. They're in preschool. Right. Preschool. They're, they're learning. <laughs> My granddaughter is six years old. And with us in the pandemic and to see to see it in real time, mm. you know, to see it in real time, to see someone like my daughter had to check, check the teacher for attempting to shame. No, to, she, she shamed my grandchild. And like to see my beautiful flower just kind of shrink in that moment what is what happens. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in school systems. That's what mm-hmm. happens in any system that villainizes black skin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Fr- France Fanon has this book, uh, what is it, black skin, white mask, where he, he talks about the, you know, the judicial system and like literally the unfair treatment, the intentional unfair treatment of black folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need to be able to speak to that and the impact of it. How many referrals can I get about kids who have problematic behavior? And literally when they're sitting there talking to me, it's about the adults around them mm-hmm. that are projecting these images and expectations on them that are not realistic. Yeah. And I, I'm not in Delaware anymore, but I was there for a period of time and I didn't do direct. Well, I did do direct treatment. Most of my work was pro bono. Mm-hmm. And so I've sat at some of those tables at, in schools and just listened for a while before they knew they were like, who is this person here? They just thought I was a member of the family. Right. Because yes, we all, right. like, we so all, black, you all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> like, so they're like, and you are at the end. And I'm like, Oh, one second, let me give you my card. And they're like, oh. And I highlight the fact that, you know, we talked about everything that he did wrong. Do you know anything about his history, his story? And yeah. then they're traumatized yeah. by hearing the story. They're looking yeah. in shock. How do you think he feels each day? I, I witnessed a young man being pulled off the stage during a music concert for parents oh my because God. he refused to stand up. And I... I was traumatized by that. I'm sure all the other black parents were traumatized by watching Absolutely. this boy be dragged out. Obviously his family wasn't there probably for various reasons. Working, Absolutely. working being one. Yes. <laughs> Work because yeah. it's like 2 p.m. in the afternoon, but dragging him off the stage. What are, what training is happening other than this, you know, our trauma-informed care that is coming out of the mouths of people that look like them and not us, right? Yes. <laughs> Yes, and I think even that also speaks to like inequity when we training opportunities for people of color, you know, mm-hmm. to actually do this because we're, it's coming from our lived experience. Yes. It's coming from our lived experience. I had this one, I used to work at an alternative school setting and would constantly get in trouble. But like I worked in this, I, you know, but mm-hmm. I, one time I just had kids and they just wanted to do art. I was like, let's do art. I'm supposed to be doing life life coaching courses and classes and all that good stuff. And I got written up for it because they were doing art. And I sat and, I, and, and at the end, the end of the year review, you know, they was like, you know, queen, we really needed you to have engagement and like class, like lessons and all that good stuff, which was always there. And I said, do you understand what peace feels like for these kids? 
These are, these are kids who were referred because they couldn't sit still, but yet and still for more than 45 minutes in silence, they sat and they draw, they drew. And not understanding how that is an accomplishment, how not understanding how our kids deserve rest. You know, the, I love the nap ministry and their work and talk about like rest as rest as, as reparations and like even in systems who demand productivity all the time, we, we get punished for putting healing things in place. Mm. And I knew then I would continue to pay that type of cost in order to make sure that those kids had a moment of peace, mm-hmm. you know? And then she sat there, the, the supervisor was like, you really should have said something. And I was like, I really shouldn't have had to. Right. And if, if they entrusted you to do your job. <laughs> Absolutely, positively. And again, if they come from this trauma-informed, people want to talk about coming from a trauma-informed place, but completely forget how to apply it. Yeah. And then they start to label the people, children, adults with their trauma and yes. forget about the person that, yes. child that needed a nap. I can't tell yes. you, I worked in the schools. I, I spent several years in the schools um, full-time and contracting and had my own agency years ago. Um, New York, New Jersey area primarily. And I would walk into the classroom and the child would be lying on a mat. Now, when they're lying on a mat, that means actually I got a teacher that knows what she's doing. Right. Or he's doing. Right. They're like, I, listen, I'm sorry that you came for this session and you know your time is valuable, but she slept at a random house again last night. Um, we don't know exactly what's going on with mom's home situation and she may be homeless again. Come on. You know, these kids are going through it. Yes, absolutely. Positively. We're in a pandemic and we're assuming people have access to internet that they have secure housing, you know, and, and again, pandemic eviction notices, judgments, things that are happening and kids are being suspended because they're falling asleep. Kids are being suspended because they're in their home. And you have someone who has a lot of privilege making judgment on the other side of that. And it's like, where, where, where is it? Where is the training? Mm-hmm. Where's the implementation of the training? Um, I'm, I'm happy to see that where I am, um, Terry Lawler, who is with the Department of Education, has been doing some really tremendous um, collaborations and curations of like trauma-informed trainings, um, social emotional learning trainings and things of that nature. So I definitely have seen a response, uh, but it shouldn't have taken a pandemic. Mm, right. Right. It shouldn't have taken a pandemic. A lot of things should not have taken a pandemic. And huh, say that in order for things to be like, oh, we need to. Or, or even even just that for for someone like Terry or others to get access to to resources to help, knowing that we can identify gaps. But again, we mean as individuals, we don't have access to the resources. Mm-hmm. Systems open the resources or don't open the res- or, or close the resources, which we've seen with PPEs in the beginning of this pandemic in the in the former administration. Um, it shouldn't take resources. It shouldn't take it shouldn't take a pandemic to open up the resources. Right. It's like, oh, um, all of a sudden you can make money. Oh, you can just extra money. Everybody gets oh, all. Let's not talk about capitalism. Yeah, boy. yeah we're not going to go there. We're not going to. Because everything is informed by it. Everything is informed by it. You know, our ancestors mm-hmm. gave birth to it uh, non-consensually. Um, everything is informed by it. And, you know, it's about the valuation of black bodies and 
yeah. black kids get it. And do, so this is really off topic real quickly because this is leading me there. Um, yeah. yeah my, we, my husband and I were watching this this talk and the guy, oh, really profound, just was dropping gem after gem. I have, I'm like, I have to rewrite and take notes. But he was talking about how, yeah, on every on each of our heads, we're actually and I forget the number now, it's like 200 and something thousand dollars, something in debt, right? For each person that the people here of America, we actually hold the debt of America. It mm. us. And there's this US debt calculator, if you go online and look it up. I, show yeah. You. yeah, it'll show yeah. you the amount that black bodies are, <laughs> you know, they don't say it, but it's us. It's yes. us. Yep. We are carrying that. Ooh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we built it. But you know, you brought up another thing that I don't talk a whole lot about, but I feel like you are probably the person to talk to about it. So you mentioned, you know, being a dark skinned black woman, right? We don't talk a whole, we dance around colorism. Ooh. We dance around that. And you see me, I'm a little bit lighter on the lighter side, right? A blackness. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> for for different reasons and it's also some and I, I hate to say it no I don't hate to say this but you know how you say I got Indian in my family you know yeah, we all but we have to but I but do that's important but I do yes and and so do yeah and so do I right like literally you're the complexion of my mom I always say I'm a dark-skinned version of my mother we need and to I'm the light skin version of my mother <laughs> we need to be <laughs> literally we don't we can't talk about black liberation without talking about um native indigenous liberation right um because there there is there was a contract there was an agreement between there's a relationship between our oppressions mm. um you know and we don't talk about colorism I'm very thankful when I did go back to school to complete the second master's for sex therapy, I have been, uh, I've, I've had access to some very profound sexologists, including Dr. Donna Oriowo, whose dissertation is actually on texturism and colorism and how that impacts Ooh. sexuality uh, of black women and just in general. So that's, that's her wheelhouse right there. Um, Cocoa butter and hair grease, y'all check, check it out. I'm, I'm not playing. She literally, that's what she does. Um, right. So you're right. We don't talk about it enough. Mm. And I remember growing up, everybody remembers school days. Yeah. Right. And I remember saying, no, I'm not on that side. That's not me. <laughs> what? I'm not like Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like we, culture has always had these very profound conversations about colorism, even if it's not overt conversations about colorism. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, uh, we are it, talking about it, but yes. yeah, and it's amazing to me. So normally, um, you know, I go back. I'm like any black woman that doesn't have her hair in dreads. I go between styles, right? You know, even right. if you do, actually, you go. I'm sure you'd be like here today. We yeah. all yes. the time, right? So I'll be curly, or I'll be straight. I'll be completely kinky. I'll be, you know, yes. I just, whatever. And but people, I feel like are when it comes to texturism and all, they're more comfortable. I'm talking about non bipoc individuals yes more comfortable asking me things about my hair and um you know it, why is it up to your ear but then tomorrow it's down your back like how'd you do that they don't understand shrinkage <laughs> <laughs> y'all don't understand culture i can't tell you right it's just real i can't explain it you know i told i told one girl i said it's um what do you call that a miracle girl yes <laughs> 
It's like I, some things I can't just can't explain to y'all. Right. I just can't explain to y'all. My grandbaby, you know, she she has these these friends in the neighborhood and, and the white girls, and you know, she's like, yeah, this is some things we just don't do because we black. And I was like, wait a minute, honey. <laughs> but 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 matter of like just matter of fact, there's just some things about culture that's just us, and hair is culture. Hair is it's a big part of our life, you know. Absolutely. And, and people will say things like, well, you know. I'll, it looks nice or I don't like you could tell me if my hair looks like, you know, you can say, why is it that you're so uncomfortable with saying that, but you're very comfortable with asking me about my shrinkage. Right? <laughs> I used to hate when I would get compliments after, you know, wearing natural hair for so long. Um, I would hate when I would straighten my hair and I would get compliments I, I because it was a microaggression. It was like, it just looks so much better like that. And I'm like, no, that's just what you're comfortable with. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't comfortable when I came with my twist to the side and the, the Afro. Right. Right. Because they're taught to fear blackness, mm -hmm. no, ma no matter how it's packaged. And I'm just like, eh, I can't sit there with you. Yeah. I wish no. you would. Come on. You know, the, the one thing that I noticed, too, that I'm open about, I usually talk about, you know, with my friends and family is that I feel like when I was growing up, there were people in the neighborhood, and I grew up in an all-black neighborhood in, in Newcastle, right? So um, growing up, that people in my neighborhood would say things like, well, who's your daddy? Let me see. And then you you must be biracial. Yes. You know? And yes. I, would get, I would get it, and they would say, you're not all the way black, you know, no matter how I could, you know, try my best to do double Dutch and whatever, <laughs> be the black girl yes. like everybody else on the bus. Yes. I would catch it. But then... Um, around fourth grade or so, my family decided to put me into a little Catholic school that's no longer there um, in, in town. And it was just 13 of us in a class, a little small Catholic school, mm -hmm. because they wanted me to get a better education in their eyes, right. right? So then I go there, and it's just me and a couple other folks. And now I'm getting, I mean, you talk about racism. Yes. As a child coming yes. at me to the point where at one time I'm not even a fighter. I physically fought someone on the playground and told yes. my mom I did. Yes, I did. I should right. <laughs> you know, right. it was such a it was battle fatigue every day for me. So it was like so it's hard to explain to someone, you know, that people um, that aren't like me, that I, I am black. And then people that are like me in a BIPOC population that I'm black. It, it's a challenge, you know? And, it and then it's the inverse of that too, right? So we yeah. all have our stories, but it, we don't discuss it much. We don't because we've been taught not to talk about white supremacy. Right. We've been taught not to talk about whiteness and how it informs colorism. Colorism comes directly from white supremacy, period. And I think people, we don't have enough history to talk about um, colonial America pre-Jamestown where there were indentured servants of white, black, you know, uh, South Asian folks, like where there were indentured servants, you know, and it wasn't until the Atlantic trade, trade, um, slave trade that can't, that, that really you start to see this enforcement um, of, of an enslavement of black folks, right? Like you, race was literally created because there was that, that melting pot that America feels like it, it has now. You know, but race was categorized and not and not just then, but particularly in the U.S. and its economy, the racial caste system. And there is actually a book out about that right now. But the racial caste system was actually created at that time. So we don't have this conversation to talk about racism unless or colorism unless we hear it in our music. 
right? You know, she a light skin, da 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 da. You know, it, it, it like in our music, or we we see it in you know everything Instagram, like Instagram shorties and Johns and all that all out there. We don't hear it. We don't hear it. or team light skin and team dark skin. Young folks hear it, but we're not. But again, generationally, critically, we're not challenging colorism. Right. We're not challenging colorism. Um, challenge it. And, and we need to know, too. I tell people all the time, y'all, listen, I understand there's a group that may see someone like me as, quote unquote, non-threatening. That's a whole nother topic. Right. They may. But they listen, when I walk in a room, they don't see a white woman. What right. do you think they're looking at? Right. They right. don't see as equal to them. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's get this straight. Just yes. in our community that we've been um, colonized with our thought process of the supremacy, as you mentioned, let's not forget that I still have to carry this when I leave out as well, you know? Well, I think it's, it, it's yes. And I we don't have conversations that is both and it's not either or. Again, going back to the relationship to capitalism, everything has value. Everything has to be above above so we get into this oppression olympics about like right you know instead of talking about the both and whereas in with marginalized folks you can be a light-skinned black person so and hold privilege and experience oppression you know i'm a dark-skinned black woman who is also educated you know they're they're a, a, who was a single mother you know they're like we there's the both ands mm. but again we have been taught to compete com competition is a capitalist it's it's not a communal idea, right? It's so it's called race for a reason. The uh, listen, race yes, <laughs> yeah, ab absolutely, positively. We don't we don't think about that. And you know, I as you see, I think these thoughts, um, <laughs> uh, you know, like, but we don't talk about the undercurrents. We don't talk about what informs overarching large large paradigms and large large themes mm. but it's necessary to um it's like an infection that that hides you're treating the symptoms but you're not killing the infection right exactly exactly and let's talk about it and let's talk about why some people look a little bit more like me and why they don't you don't want to talk about that piece do you Listen, because then we would have to talk about sexuality and sexual and we don't talk about sexual coercion and we have to talk about rape. You know, we would have to talk about the things and like, again, the lack of compassion that the that we get as a people that don't allow those narratives to exist and the weaponizing of victimization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. We have people walking around the U.S. Capitol with battle flags that's telling us to get over our shit. Right. You know, yes. uh, it's, and like it's it's that it's that nonsense that I don't have the energy for these days. No, no. It's, okay, so since you mentioned sexuality, right? Yes. So <laughs> let's talk um, about sex. Yes, yes. So let's talk about you know being queer, people that are transgender, nine. No, and as I'm saying these words, I'm sure pe some people are like, oh, oh. You know, a little uncomfortable, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like because we're a little uncomfortable. Yep. <laughs> and yep. especially those who may be listening, that I know a lot of people listen to the podcast for the spiritual conversations and you know, and that awakening piece of it. So, how do you reconcile for them, or not necessarily for them? How do you reconcile, perhaps, the teachings that we've been taught? Certain things are wrong, right? Um, monogamy is, is the way to go, right? And you have to be with the same sex and all these different rules that we were taught. 
how does that intersect with spirituality? No, it's and I think that's the thing. It's not a lot. How could it not? Mm. Right? How could it not? Mm -hmm. With all the conversation that we've just had, how how can anyone not challenge what they've been taught? We are a people who have been who have been robbed of language, who've been robbed of culture, who've been robbed of all the things. And for people to say that queerness is somehow a white man's illness, I need you to understand that you have been bamboozled, mm. right? That that queer and trans folks have been in existence as long as humans have been in existence. That when even when you think about the Orisha, right? There are the gender shows up, right? Mm-hmm. And people people change gender, you know, people. I mean, Orishas, you know, come up in gender, they don't change, but they come up in the gender that they need to for their particular purpose. Um, What we need to understand is like the human experience, sexuality is expansive. How can you limit what God has created? Uh, That right, yes. Yes. So literally I have Dr. Dr. Beverly Dale and Dr. Mark Levan, both of them um, focus on sexuality and spirituality. And I would definitely recommend you Google their work. And, and Dr. Beverly Dale, who's actually out, out of Philadelphia, has the Sexuality and Spirituality Institute. Like that, that's her format is to really decolonize and deconstruct how homophobia and transphobia was inserted into re- certain religions. Um, and really doing this very academic research, like, and, ha- and I'll send you, I'll actually send you the PDF. It actually will, lit, will tell you, like, this is when that word was added to the Bible. This is when that, this is what that actually means. This is what, like, lit- and, and again, y'all, it's not for me to be like, what you believe is not real, right? But it's like, have you ever thought about challenging the source that tells you to believe what we believe? when we look at, when I started to do this work, right, you know, in my academic work, and I started to do the research to understand when I started to, when I started to say, like, why is Black bad? Why is African traditional religions bad? Like, where, where does that come from? I started to learn because I, because inherently that means that I'm bad, or I'm unworthy, or something about me. So for me, that started that journey of unlearning you know, and, and exploring and, and coming back to like, who am I? And who, if in the first adjective I always start with is black. My queerness and my blackness inform everything that I do. And mm. as a queer black woman who was brought up, you know, heterosexual, my dad's retired military, being in Delaware, you just did not see that. And where it was, it was not in reach for me. Mm. So I literally had to do this journey of self-discovery and I tell people spirituality and sexuality are two sides of the same coin. Mm. And if you yeah. do your own work, you will realize and reconcile that in peace. That's right. In peace. Yeah. Yeah. People are, well, first off, we're uncomfortable even when you hear sexuality. Yes. And uncomfortable, right? Just to start. And then when you cannot understand something um, or some people are suppressing something, then it makes you extremely uncomfortable to face it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you bring up the Orisha and, you know, and there are aspects of the Orisha that that are genderless, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I mean, yes. 
In yes. Some pictures they may, you know, people portray more feminine. Some pictures people portray more masculine. We know we carry both. We talked about this a little bit during our panel, right? Yes. Yes. Duality. So that always baffles me because, you know, we talk about duality, masculine, divine, masculine, divine, feminine, living in all of us. Yes. But then you have people in the African traditions that will say you're imbalanced if you aren't with man and woman, right? But you just told me that we both carry both. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Because patriarchy and patriarchy is still real. The when even again, when you look at this move from matriarchal societies and, and leadership and this and this fixation and concentration on like, you know, people with penises being able to lead and then calling the man on top of that, um, and that they are natural in their authority role. It becomes about power and it removes, it removes the power of femininity. It removes the power um, of, of the duality, you know, that we're not on equal footing or that we can be blended, you know, that as a person, a person can be a, like you said, genderless, right? Gender is literally assigned, gender is assigned based on society values. And if you look at societies in all in, in every continent here globally, like you will see instances of gender, you know, genderless or multi-gender human beings. Like we just have to look. Um, right. You know, it's kind of like our the social construct of race, right? Absolutely. Gender as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. When people say, you know, um, yeah, yeah. So to me in my, in my work to being a, being a spiritual person, um, it was, you can't tell me about my relationship to God. Right. You can't tell me about my, so, so me and God are going to have to figure this out, <laughs> you know, um, and, and people come to the practice all the time trying to reconcile, like, how can I have these feelings? But I was taught something else, mm. you know, and, and, and feeling like they have to choose that you have to choose your queerness over your Christianity, that you have to choose your queerness over, you know, over your faith. And, you know, what we try to do is support people in that journey. Our job is not to tell them one way or another, but to give them again, informed information. So that way they can come to a better understanding of who they are and the life that they want to create for themselves mm -hmm. um, and support them in, in, in that mechanism. You know, I've been part of um, some conversations around conversion therapy. Jeez, yes. Um, and gosh, it's just the trauma that goes, I mean, it's just, just to, to think that someone, like they're literally traumatizing people trying to, to pull them away from part of their souls. I Absolutely. And it is a weapon of colonialism, right? We did that. Well, I mean, not we, but the United States did that particularly for indigenous folks, right? Conversion theory to Christianity, where you cut their hair, you got rid of their culture, you made them wear Western clothes, you know, you had them um, convert to a, a, a Western religion. Like conversion therapy is a weapon that has been used. Missionary work can be considered conversion therapy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, it is, it is harmful, harmful work. Mm. Oh, you just, okay. 
Yes. Now, I'm, I didn't even think about it. Like, so when you think about where, so colonialism did not, in my opinion, start here for, for our ancestors. It started in Africa. People sometimes forget that, right? So right. when you say, oh, Christianity yes. was in Africa for, yeah, okay, we don't have need to talk about that. But the Portuguese and whomever, the colonizers went into Africa. Yes. And the first thing they did was convert them to Christianity. Absolutely, absolutely. That's how they got us. I saw somewhere on Twitter where it was like, you know, the impact of colonialism is Africans have the Bible and the colonial colonial oppressors have the land. You know, you know, it's That's the great. use, right? It's the use of and the use of. And I appreciate work like Pastor Bay, who really talks about and decolonizes Christianity mm -hmm. to say like, no, you know, prior to, you know, prior to the Romans, right? Like this is, this is what it, it, it meant. This is who we are. Um, and, it, and it takes scholars like her, her in order to bring us forward, to be able to unpack that harm um, that we, that we're struggling with. Yeah. And a lot of us are struggling with, okay, you know, we left the church, let's say, and now we're going to go to um, IFA or, you know, we're going to go to comedic practices. We're going to find something else, right? Yes, yes. And then we go into, and I'll admit, and I've said this before on recent episodes that I've gone into phases of judgment. So you're, but you're, you're leaving one, right? And then you're going into another, what you're, you're still kind of coming in with that same, mind programmed mindset yes. it's just something new and then we're judging each other and that's further dividing us and so their plan is still working yes because <laughs> because because finding something is only part of the healing journey mm -hmm. right like uh -huh. we need to be understand that if we are healing how are we decolonizing healing yeah um you know that it is We've, we've been taught that when we break up with something, we have to have animosity and that we still can't find value in, in the things that, that we held dear, that it has to be this competition of this either or, mm -hmm. and this submersion that we have to give up our critical thinking to be like, this is what it is, instead of listening to intuition, mm -hmm. like, you know, you know, that, that solar plexus work mm -hmm. that we need to do people for people only do part of it. And they end up replicating the same type of negative behaviors that they did in former systems. There you go. Yeah. They did in former systems. Most, most, most folks won't want peace, but they'll understand that transformation is painful. Right. Right. You know, everyone uh, wants to be woke. Yes. And not understanding like we, <laughs> what? Yeah, that whole thing of ignorance being ignorance is bliss. I remember the first time uh, I was dating uh, a man who was Muslim and I was considering taking Shahada. And I just remember, I remember being faced with sh shook in my faith, right? As a Christian, like being shook in my faith. But what he did was he opened me up to understanding what was my relationship to faith going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, there was, there's a somatic processing, right? This mind body connection, this, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, sexual reaction that I was having to truth. Yeah. And people don't recognize that that's what healing is. Yeah. And when you get there and you, you finally get to the point where you're like, okay, no, this is a true awakening. This is not some yes. uh, social media wokeness, right? Yes. <laughs> when you get to a true awakening in the 
the sensation, the Kundalini and the, you know, yes, <laughs> yes. Mind blowing. You're like, and this was there the whole time. Whole time. I want to leave. What y'all talking about? Yes. All the whole time. Mm. I'm telling y'all it's so good on the side. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And even when you think about sexuality and intimacy, I should say, because sexuality is a big, you know. Right. Sexual versus sexuality. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and yes. sexual has a spiritual connection, right? It, it, it's very spiritual. Now you could choose and you could choose to have pleasure, right? But you could also, yep. you know, choose to let in certain energies that you don't need. Yes. So yes. be aware of that. And that's what about in my healing the erotic self program so dr um zalikia hepworth clark did her dissertation was on like unlearning unlearning and reconnecting to her senses and she used oceanality mm. and and the flow of oceanality which talks about pleasure and fulfillment mm. you know both sexual and non-sexual engagement and energies and dr tracy gilbert talks about the erotic self Right. And her research was, all right, black folks, 21st century, like what is sexy? And it's this very, uh, very phenomenal research project that she did that eight, eight areas of the erotic self shows up in which we experience sensual and sexual pleasure, which informs like now I'm like, oh, I have it. What black people like what we what we need, what other folks can need or use in order to have this fulfilling relationship. Mm -hmm. with with sex and sexuality mm. um as we go through our hotels yeah, yeah jasmine sullivan <laughs> but like li but like literally you know to talk about our relationship to touch mm -hmm. our relationship to our body you know mm -hmm. those two things by itself is yes you know what is my gender who am i attracted to mm -hmm. people think of queerness and you think that i'm trying to tell you about the sex that I'm having mm -hmm. and no, I'm telling you, I have a different relationship to pleasure, power, and pain. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? My favorite sex positions is nobody businesses between mine and my lovers. You know, all the only thing I'm telling you is I'm a lot more expansive than what you probably put me in a box to be. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, I'm not going to hold you too much longer because I, I think we could go probably three, four hours. <laughs> I know. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know. I know people are like, what? We don't went all the way to Africa. Yes. <laughs> Colorism. <laughs> it's, but it's not. It absolutely. Every every part that we talked about today is necessary yes. because that's what healing is encompasses. And if you put a box, if you limit your healing, you're going to limit your transformation. Oh, there you go. Yes. Limitless healing. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Queen. Thank you, Dr. G. I appreciate this so much, so much. Yes. I'm going to put all your information in the show notes. But, you know, before we leave, yes. just tell them, at least, where would you like people to go to find you? What's the best place? Uh, Instagram, Sister Sexologist, um, and SisterSexologist.com. Okay. All right. That's it. All right. Thank all you. All right. Thank okay. you.